So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll just consider two verses today, verses 12 and 13. I've really been looking forward to getting to this section. Uh, this section is actually what one of the main things that attracted me to this book for this group here, for Grace Church of Orland. And that's because starting in verse 12, going down to at least to verse 22, we have this very succinct, pithy summary of what the Christian life looks like, not only as you as an individual, but also among other Christians. Uh, it's very evident if we would just read, drop into any part of the New Testament epistles, it's very obvious God wants you as a believer to be involved in a local church. Um, trying to apply the Bible to yourself while being detached from a local church is almost impossible. I mean, even our verse here, what, what would a Christian do with this verse who's just out there by himself? Know your leaders. Uh, regard them high in all these things. Treat, this, treat one another this way. Don't repay one another evil for evil. See, all these things assume that you're pretty intimately involved with other Christians in their lives, but also in a local church context. And so we begin this section here in verse 12. The Apostle Paul begins here, now that he's finished discussing uh, matters relating to the return of Christ. He, he's he's kind of closed out those concerns with verse 11, and now he's moving in, he's starting to conclude the letter, and he wants to leave these new believers, this new church, with a little manifesto. Right? Here's a little summary, a little picture of what your church should be like. And that concerns all of us, doesn't it? Uh, we, we describe different churches we've been at as unhealthy. Or we, you know, we left such and such a church because it was just bad and there was all these issues in it. Uh, we, those are legitimate concerns. Um, but we also want to make sure that we're getting our definition of healthy church from the Bible. Right? We want to make sure we're measuring a church by the Bible. And so here we see a description of a healthy church. And the first concern in this section is, is what? Well, let's read it together and just, just be thinking, what's the topic? What's the first topic the Apostle Paul has in his mind as he's giving this little instruction to this church, this really compact instructions to the church? He writes, but we ask of you, brothers, that you know those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and that you regard them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So what's the topic that he begins the section with? Well, it's this idea of, of leadership, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of the elephant in the room when we talk about a healthy church. Uh, most of us, if we were to just survey the people here that might have left the church, and I, I think many of us have, we, we were saved maybe in a church, and over time we started digging through the Bible, reading the Bible for ourselves. And over time we, we saw problems in the church. And a lot of those problems were, were focused on, not just generally, but with the leadership. And so attitudes of uh, maybe disrespect may be legitimate. So maybe in some cases it's legitimate that you lose respect for church leaders. Other times there, there's sin involved and there's res resentment that's avoidable. But either way, that's really the first concern we find here in this section. The issue of, 
of church leadership, how you as a Christian uh, should think about and relate to the leaders in the local church. That's the topic uh, under discussion here. And this is an age-old problem. I mean, this is not a 21st century problem. Uh, The New Testament was written almost 2,000 years ago, and we've even found letters that pastors have written to churches after the New Testament documents. One letter was written by a man named Clement of Rome to the church in Corinth, a generation after the apostles. And so this is one of the earliest letters we have after the New Testament. And what what prompted the letter? (laughs) Here's a quote from that letter. He says, why do we tear and rip apart the members of Christ? That was his question to the church. He had heard in Rome that this church in Corinth, again, they had developed factions and divisions, and there's actually a group of younger men had booted out the older men leading the church, and they just kicked them out. Now, we're in charge now. And Clement sent this letter of rebuke to them. Over a thousand years later, another pastor writing during the Reformation period said, we see daily how pastors are hated by their churches for some trivial reason. Man, we see daily how pastors are hated by their churches for some trivial reason. I mean, at the very least, we have to acknowledge whether these cases of disunity between leadership and people are legitimate or not. It's, it's a constant threat. It's a constant temptation on both sides. Uh, it's a sad reality. And we just all have to be honest with ourselves. There's indwelling sin in all of us. And one of the, one of the biggest thing your indwelling sin has a problem with is authority. So any kind of authority, any, any, any interaction with authority, whether it's a police officer or, or someone in your workplace or someone in the church or the home, that sin that's still dwelling in us has this natural instinct to, to rebel against that, to resent it, to resent any kind of authority uh, in, the, in the Christian life. And a lot of Christians are like this. They think, well, I like church. I, I like going to church. I like having friends at church. It's a sweet time. I get to sing and, and I get to hear interesting things about the Bible that help me. And so it goes on like that for a period of time, and, and that's very sweet for them. But, but one day, what, what happens? Well, at some point, some, that Christian might, might have an issue. There might be some, some defect in their beliefs or in their life. They may have fallen into sin in some way, and they're not aware of that. could be a blind spot. And so someone in leadership might approach them and say, Hey, brother, or hey, sister, um, have you noticed this in your life? Hey, I'd love to talk to you about that and just help you. So just real gentle, right? And what's the response with a lot of people? They're out of there. They leave. Where'd they go? Well, I don't know. I talked to them. I just tried to talk to them real gently about some issue in their life and poof, they're gone. So how can we avoid falling into that? We acknowledge it's a temptation for all of us and even me. You know, I'm not the king here. I'm actually a co-elder with two other men in North, at North Creek, our partner church, that are overseeing me. So you can just know that, that this is a sermon for me as well as, as for you, that I'm ultimately submitting to the, the authority of all the elders and that they have the authority and right to, to call me to change. 
Okay, so we're really approaching this together. And this passage gives us two attitudes, two attitudes that we need to cultivate with regard to church leadership. Okay, so that we can be thankful instead of resentful toward those who lead us in the Lord. And so in verse 12, we see the first attitude. We need to cultivate, first of all, an attitude of appreciation. Appreciation. And that's often the root cause of these problems, a resentful attitude toward leadership is, is you don't really understand what's happening. There's just this instinctive counter-reaction to someone trying to provide direction to your life. Uh, and so Paul, notice, notice the approach here, how God approaches this and how P- the Apostle Paul is approaching this. He's not saying, ah, there's these guys and they're the kings and you submit to them because they're the office bearers and they're, they're the pastors and elders and you better obey them. Is that, is that the tone of the passage? No. Uh, there's, there's persuasion happening in this passage. Okay, and so Paul wants these Thessalonian believers and the Lord would want all of us here to, to first of all focus on the attitude of the heart. And the first is appreciation. Our English word appreciate comes from a Latin word meaning to set a price upon something. So when you evaluate things, if you're going to buy something, you're, you're trying to appreciate what the worth of the thing actually is. And so based on your knowledge of, of cars or, or different kinds of equipment or clothing, you'll, you'll put a price on the things you, you shop for. And the Greek word here behind it is the word to know. So it literally says, we ask of you, brothers, that you know those who labor among you. Knowledge, not just knowing them, like you know my name or you know your leader's name, but, but a, an experiential knowledge, right? A, an accurate appreciation of a person based on, on facts, facts about who the person is. An intimate knowledge of the spiritual leaders, and so just to clarify, when I'm saying spiritual leaders, pastors and elders and all of that, it's my conviction that the New Testament teaches one office, a spiritual leader, okay? So we don't have, you know, cardinals and bishops and, and uh, you know, pastors and elders are over here and overseers is something else. It's all one thing, okay? So when the New Testament talks about pastors, overseers, and shepherds, uh, they're all synonyms for the same office. It's just different angles of looking at the same thing. So just a word of clarification there when we, when we talk about church leadership. And so notice he does not appeal to their office and say, well, like you need to respect these men because they're in the office. Uh, they're in this high, high office. And that's the only reason to appreciate them. He first tries to persuade the Christians here to appreciate their spiritual leaders by painting a picture of them in action. Okay, notice that here. That, that the leaders of the local church, they're not described in terms of their office. They're described with three terms, three verbs uh, that, dis- that paint a picture of them in action. Laboring, leading, and admonishing. And so he says first, appreciate their labor. You know, before you decide how you're going to think about and respond to your, your spiritual leaders in your church, uh, I want you to first come to the home of your spiritual leaders. Almost to come be a fly on the wall and imagine him coming home after a long day and just passing out in exhaustion. 
And that's the word here, labor. Labor means to work to the point of exhaustion. And some of you have jobs like this where you are physically working all day. And you get up at an early hour and you work sometimes 8, 10, 12 more hours of physical labor. And what happens when you get home? You just, you just pass out. You just collapse. That's the picture of the spiritual leader here with that word labor. So he's saying, look at the, the weariness uh, that, is, uh, that comes from true spiritual leadership. Look at him collapsing. This is literally true of many pastors that I've heard of just by, by way of anecdote. A man in the 1800s, a pastor I read about, sometimes he would ride for hundreds of miles to preach to all different kinds of people. And he preached multiple times a day. Uh, and he'd exert himself in that. And sometimes he was so exhausted that his friends would have to line up three chairs and he just lay down on the chairs all afternoon. He just, he just virtually paralyzed, couldn't move because the physical toil on him, you know, riding on horseback all over colonial America took a big toll on him. But there's also a mental labor. And I do want to give you a little bit of insight to just what, what spiritual leadership means, what it requires you know, I want to I dismiss the idea that spiritual leadership is, you know, three or four or five wise men. They, once a month they sit down at the table and they, they kind of talk in, in real sober terms and make wise decisions about budget and, and et cetera. It's not that. It's not a council of just decision-making people. There's actual work involved in spiritual leadership. And one element of that, to give you some insight, is a mental labor. That's used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe the spiritual leader's uh, work with the Word of God. And so it is a labor to labor in the Word and in doctrine. And I can just tell you by personal experience, um, to study the Bible devotionally is is one thing, okay, where, where we all read maybe a couple chapters a day, and we, we don't understand completely everything, but, but we get something from it, right? We get something from it, and we can focus on, zero in on that, that passage, that part of the psalm, this verse. I didn't understand that part, but okay, I got that part, and I can kind of pray about that and commune with the Lord on that truth. But a, a spiritual leader who has some sort of pre-planned uh, teaching schedule— I mean, he's forced to just go through every verse. You know, you can't skip around. Some preachers do that because it is hard work. It's, it's frankly easier to just skip around. Ah, I love this one in Isaiah. I love Psalm 23, uh, Genesis 1, um, things like that. But when you're, you're really buckled in and committed to going through all of Scripture, it takes work. Uh, you have to weigh different opinions. So if you would just go and even 1 Thessalonians. If you would go and buy every book that's ever been written on 1 Thessalonians and you compare them all, man, some of these guys disagree significantly, okay? And so when you study a passage to teach it, you have to wrestle with all these different opinions and you know God has spoken clearly. You know, the, the confusion is not in the Bible. It's in our, it's here, right? It's in us. It's our sin that makes us uh, slow to really understand the Bible in a crystal clear way. So the result of that is there's just hard work to arrive at a, a crystal clear understanding of a passage of Scripture. But not just crystal clear, but, 
clear enough that you can really stand up and demand obedience to something in the scripture, right? It's one thing to say, oh, this is a nice truth. It's another thing to stand up and say, well, based on this scripture and my interpretation of this scripture, I'm actually calling you to obey in this specific way. And so it takes work to arrive at that level of conviction and and confidence in what the scripture says. But the other side of that too is it, it is labor to make the scripture consistently interesting to hear, right? I mean, we are blessed with so many uh, gifted Bible teachers and resources. We can listen to some of the best sermons ever been preached instantly on all our computers and devices. And just to be frank, I know all of you, a lot of you are very familiar with the truths we go over every, every Sunday, And so there is labor to try to, okay, I want to present this truth that these people have heard before, but it needs to be fresh, right? It needs to be applicable to their lives. It needs to secure their interest. That's also not an easy task, and there's labor required in that. But then in addition to that, that's more the mental side, but there's an emotional burden as well for a spiritual leader. Uh, A spiritual leader will experience almost constant anxiety for the people he's, he's leading. Paul wrote in one of his letters, apart from such external things, so his labors, his travels, apart from all that, there is the daily pressure of me of concern, literally anxiety, for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is made to stumble without my burning concern? without my burning concern. And he wrote in another place, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. That's the picture of pastoral ministry, right? Of spiritual leadership. Is the the faithful spiritual leader, I'm not talking about the lazy spiritual leader, forget them, but the faithful spiritual leader that actually cares about people in front of him, that's his experience. As he gets involved with them and tries to help them, He'll, he'll often hit a wall. He'll often hit a wall with, with just some people. There'll be a hard heart in some people that he seeks to minister to. And I can just tell you by, by personal testimony, a spiritual leader who meets that will go home and have a tremendous burden on his heart. I mean, he's not plump, plopping down in front of the couch, in front of the TV. Well, that, that counseling session didn't go well. Well, forget them. I'm going to watch uh, football or something. No, I mean, he, he loses sleep over it. He prays. He prays for those people. He begs God for God to be merciful to that, peop- that person because honestly, sometimes there's nothing more you can do. It feels like that. There, I tried everything to persuade someone to obey God. Uh, I tried to gently lead them and slowly ramp it up a little bit. But still, there's this hardness of heart. There's this hardness of heart that I'm meeting with. And that's a a real emotional burden on a spiritual leader. And that's all labor. And so it's true. True spiritual leadership is exhausting work. It is, at the end of the day, work, right? Um, And you can just know that if any of you are considering being a a spiritual leader uh, or wondering what God's call on your life might be for that, that you can know that it really is work. And so I praise the Lord if God raises up people, and that's a constant prayer of mine. But that really is a, a truth. That's a reality that this is work, you know? 
It's work to be a spiritual leader. But second, he also says, appreciate their leadership. He says, know those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord. Okay, so he doesn't hesitate to use the word leadership in the passage. He doesn't totally downplay that element of it. There is a real place for, for men in the church to provide spiritual direction for the church. And this isn't cold tyranny. Uh, scripture likens real leadership in the church to the care of a father in his home, right? Graciously leading his family, teaching them, uh, being patient with them. You know, when they have problems and when they're sinking under their burdens, oh, it's okay, I'll take that. I'll, I'll do that. Don't worry about that. Um, gently leading God's people. But there is a real spiritual leadership that happens in the church. And notice the phrase, in the Lord. I would say that's a very crucial phrase in this passage. It's in the Lord. Spiritual leadership is in the Lord. And when you hear all these stories about spiritual abuse or um, overbearing pastors or like bully pulpit, have you ever heard of that or experienced that where the pastor will just blast you like individually from the pulpit? That totally dis- it dismisses that form of leadership. This is in the Lord. In other words, a spiritual leader is leading as a co-member of the body of Christ. He's not way up here, okay? He's a co-member of the same body, the same spiritual body of Christ. And what does that mean? Well, that means the pastor, the elder, the overseer, the spiritual leader is not, doesn't have free reign to do whatever he wants or command you to do whatever he wants. His leadership is necessarily limited to what the Lord Jesus Christ has delegated to him. And I thought this was so helpful. In one of my classes in seminary, we were doing uh, ordination prep is what it's called, where you have this list of 100 questions and you study them and you have to be ready to give an answer on the spot. And so it's to just test your knowledge of uh, being able to minister to people with questions about the Bible and salvation and different practical topics. And so... When we first started doing this exercise, the, the, the professor would call people up and say, okay, you know, Bobby, here's a, your question. Um, you know, some question about marriage or, or end times or something. And the guy would invariably start saying, well, you, you know, the Bible would be like this. He'd, he'd be, well, you know, I think this and I like this view and I, uh, I like this pastor and I read this book and and this is the right view. And, and the professor would say, what? No, don't say, I think. Don't tell me, you know, what tradition you were from or what you prefer or don't just lob it out there. You, you need to show me in the Bible where it says that. You want to provide help to someone that's depressed or someone that's maybe in some sin? Uh, you can't just come up to them and say, like, do this right? It's, it's, it's this. It's here. Can I, can I show this to you? Can I show you what the Lord has said here? Um, are you clear on what the scripture says about this, this issue? Oh, you're not? Okay, let's work through it. Uh, let's, let's take a look at it together. Uh, let, let's, let's meet up and, and discuss this issue and answer your questions and concerns, fears maybe. But that's what spiritual leadership is. It's, it's taking this and then convincing people of what it says, and then helping them gently to follow what the Lord has, has put down in Scripture. 
And the church leader is consistently portrayed in the New Testament as a slave. That word is actually used consistently. Uh, Over and over again, this word keeps coming up to describe the Lord's servants in leadership. Paul, he said, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. That's how he introduced himself. Peter, he wrote, Peter, a slave of Jesus Christ. Jude, a slave, Epaphras, our beloved fellow slave. So scripture, it says that the church leader, he's actually just a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can only do his master's will. He can only do the will of Christ in the church. But it goes even further and describes the church leader as actually a slave of his church. Paul said that. He says, we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for the sake of Jesus. That's from 2 Corinthians. And that's the the picture of the spiritual leader. And that's my, my personal appeal to you is that, you know, as as I actually get going and start pastoring, right, at, at a more individual level, and that becomes more of a reality, to really view me that way and other men that would be raised up here, I mean, we're just slaves. And if you disagree with anything, any spiritual direction we're trying to give, we would, we would love to d- talk about it and discuss it and go to Scripture, right? One pastor said, uh, a, a new elder at a church I heard, uh, when he, after he was ordained, he went to the, the preacher, you know, the senior pastor, whatever they called him there. And he said, well, well what happens if I disagree with you? Am I allowed to disagree with you? Uh, or are you like, you, will you say goes? Can I bring up any concerns? And you know what the guy said? He said, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. You know, we disagree. Bring your Bible. Let's work it out. Let's work it out together. But then third, the third activity of the church leader here is he admonishes you. So that's an interesting word. To admonish means more than bare instruction. So it, it's not just the word teach. Like, hey, Sunday school class, let's, let's go through the doctrine of uh, justification by faith and, you know, see you next week. And our relationship really doesn't go beyond that. There's this element of admonishment. And that's part of... Um, the difference between a pastor and a teacher. Uh, a pastor will, will teach, but there's also this burden to actually correct, okay, and to address faults and defects in Christians. And to admonish is instruction, but with an element of warning and rebuke. So at the end of the day, to be honest, it is calling attention to defects, to faults, to weaknesses, to sin sometimes. And many Christians, this is, where their, this is what their, their issue is. They're, they're tempted to resent admonishment from their leaders because they, they're not interpreting it in the right way. So, so how do Christians usually interpret admonishment from a spiritual leader? Well, one, they would say, well, you're playing God. You can't tell me to do that. Who are you, God, that you're going to tell me what to do in a specific area of my life? Or you would think, he's just proud. You know, you're just saying that because you're proud. You're some perfect Pharisee trying to tell me what to do. You're just putting me down to puff yourself up. Uh, Or you might think, oh, he's a legalist. I mean, we can't all obey all the commandments all the time. This guy expects me to be perfect. 
He expects me to keep an unkeepable standard that I know is impossible among redeemed sinners. And so any kind of insistence on obedience is, is legalistic. Or, and this is what I think a lot of people are prone to, you would interpret it as a personal attack. As if, oh, this interaction is proof that this guy has it out for me. He's just opposed to me. And, okay, if he's opposed to me, I don't have any future here. You know, I don't have any future of, uh, you know, discipling people here or having some little ministry, being on the worship team or leading a Bible study. And so, you know, he, this guy's opposed to me, so what am I going to do? I'm out of here, right? Bye. See you later. One woman I heard of, she was leading um, a, a group of women through, through things, and she was very astute and, and well-read in Scripture. And, but there, something happened where someone asked her a question about so, some issue about sanctification or, or how we grow as Christians. And so she, she sent off, she just kind of fired off this, this YouTube clip, right, of, uh, that, that actually did end up presenting a false view of that. So not a uh, soul-destroying heresy, but just not something the church is lined up with. And so the pastor just graciously approached her and said, oh, did you, did you send this video to so-and-so? They came to me concerned about it. And she said, oh, yeah. Uh, and he said, well, did, did you watch this video before you sent it? Well, no. Oh, um, okay. Well, you know, here, here's what we, we need to do. How about just for a little bit, you, you step, take a step back, and we'll just work together on this. We'll just clarify, you know, what what spiritual leadership means and how maybe we could prevent this in the future. Just real gentle. What would the lady do? She's out of there. She disappeared. Sayonara. So this is just something where we need to acknowledge that, that we, when we're, when we're presented with admonishment, that's loving admonishment in the Lord, that's coming from scripture and that's fair, there will be a, an instinct to push back against that. But I would urge you just not to interpret it that way. Uh, it's not an attack at all. I mean, a spiritual leader, if God has really called them, they most likely, the, one of the first things that pr- that's prompted them to pursue that is their concern and love for people. And I would just ask you to assume that graciously. And so admonishment is really a loving pursuit of a wandering child, a child in danger, right? The love what would love do? Oh, love would pursue that wandering child. What would a selfish person do? They just ignore the child. They just ignore, let him go. I have, you know, that's uh, time out of my schedule. I don't have time for that. And they're probably going to get mad at me, so I don't want to risk that. And so someone ad- that's willing to admonish you is actually risking a lot and uh, showing concern for you. Just consider a few examples of what that might look like, godly admonition. So Christ admonished his disciples. Do you remember he said things like, you have little faith? So that's an admonishment. You don't have enough faith. But I mean, do you think he said that with a scowl? You have little faith. I'm done with you, right? No, it was, but it was an admonishment. It was an admonishment. Paul, he says he admonished each one with tears, with tears. A man named William Grimshaw, who I really respect, pastor a couple hundred years ago, uh, was very faithful to just seek peace 
and to pursue peacemaking with the people he ministered to. Uh, One person described him like this. He said, nothing pained this man more than to see people opposed to one another. No labor was too great or too long if their reconciliation might be his reward. He would fall on his knees before them, begging them for Christ's sake to love one another and offering to let them step on his neck would only, if they would only be at peace among themselves. I mean, so that's the heart of admonishment. It's just, I beg you. I would beg you to be at peace. You know, you, you have these things against each other, but, but where's the grace? Where's the grace? I would beg of you to be gracious and to forgive one another. That's the heart of the spiritual leader, especially when he admonishes uh, the believer. And so I would just want to leave you with that question as we transition to the next attitude here. I mean, what, what will you do? So it's, it's on you, right? It's your decision. Um, you can interpret it in the best possible light and interpret it as an act of love, or you can disappear. And I would just tell you that the, the fact that a, a spiritual leader would need to admonish you, that's, that doesn't necessarily mean I mean, it doesn't have to mean that there's no opportunity for you to ever be in leadership over anything or to be part, participate in any ministry of the church. Not at all. And I can just tell you that I've benefited by personal admonishment, you know, at my church and by elders at our church. It's something that the Lord wants for us uh, that's necessary. But now, We've seen the, the need to cultivate this attitude of appreciation to really perceive the worth of the labor of the spiritual leader. But now we see that appreciation naturally leads to respect. So in verse 13, we see that, that we need to cultivate not only an attitude of appreciation, but also let that lead to an attitude of respect for those in the church. And that's what Paul says here. He says, and that you regard them very highly in love because of their work. And so what is respect? Uh, Respect, when you respect someone, you consider them as almost uh, living a life that's worthy of imitation. So think about the people you respect, maybe in other places of your life. You kind of look up to that person. You think, yeah, I want to go in that direction. So there's all these possible examples out there but these, this set of people, these, these individuals, are living a life that I, I esteem and I want to pursue and I would, want, I would consider, consider it a noble pursuit to live that kind of life. And so it's a conscious choice. It, it's, not, it's not mainly a feeling that'll just bubble up naturally. Uh, it's a decision. It's a conscious choice to think about someone in a certain way. And to be honest, some people don't deserve this. Some people don't deserve respect. And so every pastor and elder church leader begins, you know, in a, in a healthy church with a certain measure of respect that's given to them because of their office. Well, okay, this guy's the, I just showed up yesterday. This guy's the leader. Okay, I'll show him some respect. But then over time, what happens? Well, you see, oh, this guy, he's got some issues. Uh, This guy, he doesn't seem to be committed to Scripture the way I think a pastor should be. This guy, 
may even not be converted based on how he's preaching and how he's handling things. And so this is not to say, oh, every, every person out there who calls themselves a pastor is worthy of your highest respect. But it does mean in the absence of clear evidence, there should be respect given to someone in that position. An example would be a, ma- a man who's one of the most influential pastors in our nation, Andy Stanley. He just had a conference promoting the sexual revolution. And so there were two speakers at that conference that were men married to other men that were speaking at a Christian conference. And so whatever your view on that is, the scripture plainly teaches that that's sin, that sexual perversion is a sin. And so what, should we respect men like that? No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't respect them. They should be publicly called to repentance. But a lot of people do deserve it. There are a lot of average guys out there. There's a lot of pastors out there. I mean, they're not going to make it into the history books. They're not going to make it into, you know, the list of 50 greatest pastors of all time. You know, fireworks aren't going to be shooting off every Sunday. But they're going to be doing a lot of good, right? They're going to be doing a lot of good in their communities. They're going to be doing a lot of good for the Lord where they are. And so we should respect them. I mean, if you can't respect your pastor or your spiritual leaders, you should leave, honestly, because you can't, in some sense, it's impossible to separate a leader from what he says. And so if you don't respect the man, but he's still trying to teach you the Bible, right, you're going to be having, having to constantly look around him. Well, this guy, I know he has issues, but yeah, he, he preaches the gospel, and, and he helps, he's nice, and he helps people in some ways. Um, you know, I don't want to ever counsel anyone to leave their church uh, casually. That's a really serious decision, but respect is really important for being under the influence of someone, the spiritual influence. And so notice how he describes this respect. What kind of respect do these leaders deserve? He says, very highly. Very highly. You see that in verse 13? So it's a respect, but he's saying in terms of the people that you respect, the spiritual leaders in your local church, they ought to be almost at the top of people you respect, you know, above your athletic heroes and other kinds of people. Um, These guys ought to be near the top of that list, very highly. It's almost this superabundance of respect is the word that's used there. But then also in love, in love. It's not just a a cold respect, the way you'd respect a... um, a police officer, maybe, gives you a ticket. Um, there's this cold, okay, I respect that you're carrying a gun, I'm not. Um, there's respect there, but there's really this attitude of love in the local church. There should be a love between pastor and people, between the leader and the people he's leading. And why is love so important? Well, love will, will help us deal with those legitimate issues that we have. There will be legitimate disagreements we have. I mean, Lord willing, if I'm here 50 years, 30 years, whatever, uh, there will be things that we disagree on. I will sin against you maybe in some ways, hopefully not disqualifying ways where I, I should step down from the ministry, but there will be things. But if there's love on, on both sides, we'll be able to work through that together. Love the scripture says, covers a multitude of sins, right? Overlooks small, petty offenses that maybe aren't even intentional. 
Uh, love believes the best about a person, right? When someone comes to you, oh, I can't believe what the pastor said today. That's messed up. And then you say, well, you believe all things. So you say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sure he didn't mean that. Oh, he probably meant this other thing. You know, he really loves people. He loves talking to people. Why don't we go talk to him just to clarify, right? That's the attitude of believing all things. That's what love, how love responds. Love also hopes the best for people. So love says, yeah, he has faults, but you know, I I believe he's going to get better. You know, I believe he's going to grow in these areas, and I'll be praying for him in those areas. Finally, he says, respect them because of their work. Okay, so so it is also tied to their work, the work that they do. And we already spoke about the weariness and the laboring aspect of that work. But since this respect is to be built upon the work of the spiritual leader, it's really important that we all know what the job description is of a spiritual leader. So why do I say that? Why is that important? Why, why, why don't I only need to know what a pastor is supposed to do? Why should you know? Uh, well, just for a few reasons. I mean, if you're going to be evaluating the health of the church and especially of the leaders. We want to have the same standard. Uh, Lord willing, as I've already alluded to, we want to have additional local elders here. And so we're going we're gonna to partner on that. That's not just going to be me like, hey, okay, announcement. These three guys are elders now. Boom. No, I mean, it'll be a discussion. We're going to talk about it. Uh, there'll be periods where, you know, names will be put, put forward. Hey, we're considering these men for this office. Uh, We'd love to talk. If you have any concerns, we'd love to talk about that. Not only character, but their ability to do this work that we're talking about. And so let's just briefly review what the work of a spiritual leader is. And we won't spend a lot of time here, but it is worth summarizing. So a, a spiritual leader is primarily a people shepherd. Okay, that those two words summarize what a spiritual leader is. He's a shepherd, but not of sheep. He's a people shepherd. That command is in the New Testament. They should shepherd the flock of God. And so how does someone shepherd the flock of God? Well, we've already spoken of his connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really important that we see the connection between church leaders and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not just these leaders standing out here. They're actually connected to Christ's authority in the local church. And so they shepherd the flock of God by functioning as a under-shepherd of Christ. So Christ, right, he's the good shepherd. We talk, we talk about him like that. That's how he described himself. He's the good shepherd. He's the ultimate shepherd. And so a spiritual leader is, is coming in as a flesh and blood representative and servant of that chief shepherd. And so, okay, do we have... How does this work? Do we have Christ here in the flesh to provide real-time direction to us? No. Well, does the pastor get some sort of special revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ on what to do in the local church? No. Again, we don't believe that. Uh, There's no more modern-day prophets today. But the Lord has provided a way to know his will, and what is that? How do we know what the Lord Jesus Christ wants for us? By Scripture. And so, okay, here we get to why the Bible is always in the hands of the spiritual leader. This is why the spiritual leader 
is a Bible man, okay? That's another way of summarizing. He's a people shepherd, but he shepherds people by ministering Christ's word to Christ's people. And so a spiritual leader needs to be immersed in the word of God. Uh, he, he won't necessarily be an expert in every single point of theology. Uh, that's a lifelong pursuit. But that is the primary pursuit of the spiritual leader. The apostles said, we will devote ourselves, spend the, most of, the majority of our time on what? On prayer and the ministry of the word. And Paul told a young pastor at his church, pay attention primarily to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Pay attention so much that you are actually absorbed in these things in scripture. And so the, the spiritual leader, there's a public ministry of scripture that happens, it's happening right now. But then there's also the private ministry of the word that's indicated as well. There's house-to-house ministry, right? Admonishing each one with tears sometimes or just it filling out someone's understanding in a more private setting. And so that's the primary work of the spiritual leader. He's a minister of the word. He's an under-shepherd of Christ. He's a, he's a people shepherd for Christ under Christ's authority. But he's also responsible to train future pastors, right? That's a clear mandate in the New Testament. The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so there may be a faithful pastor somewhere, but if he's not training men, what happens if he gets hit by a bus or he just gets really old, has to retire? Some pastors do this. They'll just, well, I'm 70. See ya, going to Florida. Good luck finding your next pastor. <laughs> no way. I mean, we need, this needs to be uh, almost from day one, right? Thinking about pouring into men, investing in men, even if they won't become pastors, they can lead Bible studies, lead their families, their wives and children in the Lord too. And so when we want to appreciate our spiritual leaders, it helps to consider what, what life would be like without spiritual leaders. What, what would it be like if you had no one in your life? It was just you. You were the only Christian in town, and you were just, it was just you and the internet trying to figure out you know, what the Bible actually teaches and, and to get encouragement. Uh, from other people being very difficult to do that. Scripture would describe you as a, a shepherdless sheep wandering in the wilderness. Uh, we find that metaphor. There's also the picture of being tossed on the waves, right? Being a new believer and having all these different teachings. There's people saying, you, you know, there's all kinds of different people that call themselves Christians that don't hesitate to teach the church, teach believers. But among those people, there's actually wolves. There's actually false teachers that want you to believe soul-destroying uh, heresy and false teaching. You'd also be ill-equipped for ministry. You'd have this heart, this new heart that wants to help people. You know, you want to minister to people. Maybe you want to get involved in some mercy ministry with uh, the homeless or the poor or orphans in other countries. Or maybe you want to learn how to teach the Bible. And you have this burden, but no one's equipping you. No one's helping you. No one's coaching you or training you. And so you'd be frustrated. And you'd also be in danger, as we, we've mentioned, that there's, there's a need for a shepherd. The shepherd is not just this, this preacher, right, that stands up and preaches, but there's actually this protective element 
uh, where we as a body, as a local body of Christians, are, are protecting one another and helping each other stay on, on the path of discipleship. And so finally, we want to consider how to cultivate this attitude. So let, let's begin to summarize and to think about, okay, how, what are the next steps here? I know I should have these kind of attitudes for my leaders, but I know I'm prone to just dwell on their faults, you know, driving home. Oh, you hear this happened, or what a goofball, or, you know, you dwell on those things, and I, I can totally uh, sympathize with that. Um, but we can cultivate this attitude. Here's just a few practical directions. I mean, when you want to think about cultivating respect or appreciation for anyone, whether that's your husband or some employer, it's really about committing to dwelling on their virtues. Okay, so you may have a spiritual leader in your life that is, his life is not really uh, in, uh, there's not a lot lot of integrity there, but there are some virtues, aren't there? There's a few. There's a couple. Okay, we want to dwell on those. Uh, We want to dwell and set our minds on the virtues of our spiritual leaders. We also want to speak highly of them. And that's connected to, to the first point is, uh, you know, we just want to say, oh, wasn't that such a blessing? Or, um, you know, my pastor, Pastor Kent, um, when we hear a sermon, we just want to say, oh, wasn't that a blessing to you? I mean, there, are, there were things we could pick apart, blow apart, blow out of proportion. But we want to we speak highly of our spiritual leaders. And you'd be surprised how, how that will help, just that little commitment. Because right? resentment it festers and it grows from little things like that, just letting attitudes simmer. But also, this might be, and this might be the most important one, is when you have concerns to just speak directly to your spiritual leaders. So if you have a concern, and that goes with anyone in the church, if you have a concern with someone, okay, the first step is not to disappear. The first step is not to, okay, I'm going to start gathering a, uh, a contingent right here. So so we can kind of form a group before we bring this forward. Just believe the best and, and bring your concerns in a gracious spirit. And, and again, just believe that we'd love to talk. We'd love to, um, to talk about any concerns that you have and, and try, to, try to address those. And so there's no easy steps to church un- unity. A lot of times we want this. We want just step one, step two, step three. Well, it's really about the attitude. That's what we've seen in this passage. It's about an attitude of the heart to appreciate the gifts the Lord has given you uh, in your local church in the form of leaders. And my, one of my biggest prayers for you this week uh, preparing is that just that you would know something of my heart for you, that I'd give, you, know, you could peek behind the curtain a little bit and just see not just um, the things I'm doing or the things other men are doing that are pastors, but you really sense the heart behind it and almost in a, in a way of preparation for our future relationship with each other. One pastor, one friend in the ministry, I asked him a couple questions uh, out of curiosity this week. I said, what is your greatest joy as a pastor? What's your greatest joy as a pastor? He, here's what he said. He said, seeing people turn from their sins and come to Christ. Whether it's a new believer or sanctifying saint, seeing the beauty of Christ and loving Christ more than their exposed sin. 
That's quite a response. What about his greatest sorrow? What is this man's greatest sorrow in the ministry as a pastor? He said, watching hard hearts of professing Christians selfishly reject biblical counsel, become hardened in their sin, and then be used by Satan to attack Christ's bride, all while damning their own soul in the process. Again, quite a response. I mean, that's my, that's my heart. I would say amen to all of that. I mean, I would rather be, I would rather be in a church with people that are committed to Christ, and that love one another, committed to obeying the commands of Christ in a spirit of humility and graciousness in a relatively obscure place. I'd, I'd much prefer that to being, you know, pastor of New York City or archbishop of whatever. I mean, that is the reward, okay? To seeing you just humbly following Christ, that's, that's my reward. That's how you can pay me. You know, pay me in that by following Christ. And that's my heart for you. But we've seen here also we need to guard our hearts too. Okay, so we're not above slipping into uh, sinful attitudes. So we need to also guard our hearts, all of us, against this. Our Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you so much for giving us spiritual leaders in our life. Thank you for pursuing us through people, for sending people into our lives to lead us to the Lord, to your Son, and also sending people to to shepherd us and to teach us, giving us a clearer understanding of your word and also to provide practical direction to us. We pray that you would give us a spirit of humility. That's our biggest prayer today, is that when we do bump up with leadership and and just that necessity and reality of, of admonishment sometimes, we pray that you would give us a, a supernatural, an uncommon, uh, a spiritual humility to respond in that moment and not just look at the person speaking to us, but to see your son behind and through that person uh, ministering to us and caring for us. We pray that you would grant unity in our church for many years to come, and that when there are controversies and disagreements, that, that we would patiently bear with one another and work through that and believe the best uh, about each other. And so we pray all this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.